This is the Oceans Church Podcast, where we believe in connecting people to Jesus, the one who changes it all. To learn more about Oceans, view upcoming events, or find info about ways to give, please visit oceanschurch.org. Thanks for visiting the podcast. Enjoy today's message. Guys, it is so good to be here. I'm, one more time, are you guys excited to be at church? Yeah. Good, 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 good. Um, Jamie was just mentioning that I had the opportunity to meet your pastors on a pastor's trip to Greece, and we just had a blast. We met in the Chicago airport on the way, and we immediately connected. Uh, My wife wasn't able to go on that trip because our women's conference at our church was like that week. So I was like the lone person, and they kind of took me in. We're like, you can hang out with us, loner. And... um, And so they were just amazing, and we've developed a friendship ever since. But it is truly an honor to be here. And I just want to say, um, even being here for the 830 service and experiencing this one as well, um, you guys, this church is only three and a half years old. And I just don't, I'm going to beg you, don't ever forget the miracle that you guys are a part of with this church and the life of this church and the life change in this church. This is unique. This is something special. And I think sometimes one of the worst things we can do is forget about how special of a thing we're a part of when it comes to church and the body of Christ. And your pastors are amazing. Can we give them another huge round of applause? Just honor you guys so much. Um, I've, I've been, you know, I've been telling your church's story to my friends and saying, this church is, this, is three services and it's five years old. And then I got here and he's like, actually, it's three and a half years old. And I was like, even crazier. I mean, so it's just uh, such a cool thing. Um, Again, Jamie mentioned my wife Mandy is here, um, and we are actually in the middle of our vacation. We we vacation in Gulf Shores every summer, and so when we met in Greece, I was like, well, we kind of, we're down there-ish every year, and he's like, well, next time you're down there, come hang out, so we're coming and hanging out, and then he's like, why don't you preach, and I was like, let's do it, and so um, I love this area. Guys, people sleep on the Gulf Coast, being from New Mexico, when I say I'm coming down to like the Alabama, Florida line for, for beaches, they're like, there's beaches down there? Like, come on. I mean, because we have a lot of sand, but no water. And so I'm just telling you, these are the prettiest beaches in the entire world. Can I get an amen? amen. Aren't they like literally the prettiest beaches here in the entire world? I thought I saw a sign that said that. I was like, is that real? It's amazing. Okay, so we are in this series, um, Sunday, old school, old school Sunday school, old school Sunday school. And I love this. I love this series. We're going to steal this series eventually. I I love the idea of going back to uh, stories in the Bible, some that we're familiar with, some that we aren't. And um, it's just, again, such a privilege to be here. If you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 32, and that's where we'll be in a minute. But for context, I want to tell you the story leading up to uh, the story that happens in Genesis 32, which is that famous story of Jacob wrestling with God. So that's where I'll get to in a minute. But I want to kind of tell you the backstory on Jacob's story, and his story begins in Genesis chapter 25. And I'm not going to read this portion. I'm going to kind of tell the story, so try to hang with me. In Genesis chapter 25, Jacob's mother, Rebecca, is about to give birth. Rebecca and Isaac are married. This is the same Isaac who is Abraham's son. So it's Abraham, then Isaac. Isaac is married to Rebecca. Rebecca is giving birth. And when she gives birth, they quickly realize that there are twin boys that, are, that she is giving birth to. And out comes Esau first, which is technically Jacob's older brother because he is born first. And then comes Jacob. And the Bible tells us that as, as Jacob is being born, he is holding on to the heel of his older twin brother, Esau. It's where he gets the name Jacob, which means grabber of the heel or deceiver or supplanter. 
And that's important because today when we have a name, your name means something, right? People will call your name, but then your name behind the curtain has a meaning. Back then, what's interesting is the name was the meaning. So Jacob being that name, when Jacob was a little boy running around, they would actually, when they were calling him in for dinner, would yell outside, deceiver, it's time for dinner. Like how awful is that? Can you imagine him running in and be like, mom, why did you name me this kind of thing, right? They would call out deceiver, supplanter, grabber of the heel. That's what they were saying. So immediately as he's born, he takes on this name as an identity because when you're called something long enough, you start to become it. And so Jacob becomes this deceiver. And as he and his older brother Esau are growing up, they're kind of polar opposites. So Esau is this like man's man, like the, the model of masculinity. And, it, it, you know, if you need an example, I guess I could, I could be one, you know, like, so, I mean, e- joke, joke, joke. So e- Esau, but the Bible also tells us that Esau's a hunter, which I've never been. The Bible tells us that Esau is, is hairy and it even says he's smelly. I mean, this, this guy's like an outdoorsman, right? Jacob's not. Jacob is, the Bible actually even tells us, is a little bit of a, of a mama's boy, and he stays in the house. He enjoys cooking, which all those things can be masculine as well. They are. I like cooking. And Jacob was there. So the polar opposite boys. But there's one thing that Jacob or that Esau had that Jacob wanted, and it's what comes with being the firstborn. The birthright, which is the practical blessing of the family and of God, And then the blessing from God that was bestowed upon the firstborn from the father, which was the supernatural blessing that the firstborn carried into the future. Jacob wanted it. And Jacob, as they grew older, was a deceiver, a liar, and a supplanter. One day as he's scheming, he sees his brother Esau coming in from the fields, and he had been hunting, and he's coming in with a kill. And he sees that Esau is starving. I mean, so hungry. And Esau comes in and Jacob is making some lentil stew and Esau wants that stew so bad. He is so hungry. He actually says, I'm so hungry. I think I'm going to die. Have any of you guys ever said that out of your mouth? Like you were so hungry from breakfast after breakfast by lunch, I'm going to die. So Esau is coming in and he says, I'm so hungry. I think I'm going to die. And Jacob gets the idea to make an exchange. He says, well, you can have the stew, but I want the birthright. And what's so fascinating and honestly weird about this story is why in the world Esau would give up something eternal for something temporary. We read this story and we go, how could he do it? But in the story of all of our lives, there have been times where we've done the exact same thing. We have given up what God wanted for something temporary according to our appetite right now. And this is what's happened. That's a whole sermon in itself. And I'm I'm desperately trying not to go down that rabbit trail. But I'm telling you, it's amazing to see how much Jacob became this deceiver. He gets the birthright from Esau. Then he and his mom, Rebecca, because Jacob is kind of the favorite, they start scheming to now he has the birthright, also scheming to get the promise, the blessing, the supernatural blessing from God that has to be bestowed upon by the father, Isaac. Isaac, as he's grown older in age, is going blind and he's laying in bed one day and Jacob and his mom get the idea that Jacob is going to kill a goat and put goat skin all over him, pretending that he's Esau, which means Esau was not kind of hairy. He was like goat hair hairy, okay? So Jacob goes in wearing goat hair and this, I mean, smells bad. And he goes in and he deceives his father, Isaac, 
and he convinces him to lay his hands on him and give him the supernatural blessing from God. So now the younger brother has become the older brother in every way and stolen everything from Esau. And you can imagine that Esau is not happy with this. This was not a normal sibling rivalry. This is not a normal sibling argument. Esau is boiling with anger and is now planning to kill Jacob. So Jacob has to go on the run. You guys still with me today? So Jacob is going on the run and he and his mom again are scheming and they decide that Jacob would go to his uncle Laban's house in a different land, his his home and, and where he has a whole extended family and all these different things. So Jacob finally makes it to Laban's home and immediately he's welcomed in, but he notices Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah especially Rachel. Keep in mind, okay, so anyway, okay, so he sees Rachel and Leah. Rachel, the Bible tells us, is beautiful, and it also tells us, the Bible says, that Leah is not. The Bible says that Leah was not easy on the eyes. How interesting that the Bible goes into that much detail saying she's ugly, which means she was ugly. Like, if the Bible calls you ugly, it's, it's a bad situation. So, he sees Rachel and Leah, and he's like, I want Rachel, which is also weird because Laban was what? His uncle, which means that Rachel and Leah were his cousins, which means Jacob has roots in Arkansas. And so, I mean, joking, 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 joking. I know, I know, I know. Okay, so Jacob, he falls in love with Rachel and he goes to, I'm seriously joking. If you're from Arkansas, don't come up and and find me. Okay, so he goes to Laban. He says, I want to marry Rachel. And Laban says, you can, you have my blessing, but you have to work for seven years with me. And then I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. Jacob does that. Seven years, he works for Laban. Seven years. Guys, there are are girls that don't make guys work for longer than seven minutes. And Jacob works for seven years to get Rachel. Finally, the wedding comes and Jacob's excited. And back then in that tradition, the veil, the bride would wear a veil that's thick and you couldn't see her face. They go through the whole ceremony, the party, the reception. They go to the, to the tent and they consummate the marriage. The next morning they wake up and Jacob in the light looks at who he thought was Rachel and he sees it was Leah in the bed next to him. And his, father had, his father-in-law had deceived him into marrying Leah instead of Rachel because remember the Bible says she was, Leah was what? Ugly. <laughs> okay, so, and Laban was afraid she would never get married. Okay, so then he marries Leah and now he, all of a sudden, Jacob the deceiver is now the deceived. And this is another biblical principle because the universal eternal law of sowing and reaping is always at play, always at play. And because some of us in our lives right now, we don't like what we're reaping, but we might want to check what we're sowing. Because what you sow, you will eventually reap. He goes back to Laban and says, how could you have lied to me? How could you have done this? And Laban said, well, I wanted her to marry you, but you can also marry my daughter, Rachel, but you have to work for another seven years. This is getting like weird. He works for another seven years and finally marries Rachel. 14 years he works for this woman, marries her, and has this moment with God where God calls Jacob at this time to go back to his homeland. So Jacob hears from God, he's married to Rachel and Leah. They have now all the cattle and people that are around them and servants. And God says, go back to your homeland. But there's one giant problem in his homeland. It's his older brother Esau that he was running from. Have you ever been in a moment where God is not holding your past over your head, but he does say it's time to go back and deal with some things. 
and Jacob was called to go back home and deal with Esau. So he's filled with fear and he's going back because Esau has a larger home, larger army, all these different things. And finally, they're getting close to his homeland. It says this in Genesis 32, three through seven. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir, the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master Esau, humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now, I have been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Can you imagine the anxiety? He was already filled with anxiety. Now they tell him he's coming out with 400 men. And then the Bible tells us Jacob was terrified at the news. Every time God asks us to face our past and deal with something, there's always going to be a little bit of anxiety that comes with that. I titled my message today, When the Fight Finds You. When the fight finds you. Every, all of us at different points in our lives, and some of you even right now today are facing a fight in your life. It could be the fight of your life, or it could be just a fight you're facing. It could be something with a spouse, something with finances, something with a child. It could be lack of clarity in the future. It could be mental health issues, but there is a fight that you are facing. It could something, it could be your fault of something you've sown, now you're reaping it, or it could be something that's happened to you. But God will use the fights that happen in our lives, the practical fights, the circumstantial fights in our lives, to also confront us and have his own wrestling match with us in the midst of that, and it's exactly what he does with Jacob. So I'm gonna continue, but I've got three truths today I wanna look at when looking at this story, when the fight finds you, when you're going through something in your life and it feels like something has just found you, number one, here's the first truth. The forgiveness we need comes only by the mercy of God. This first point really has to do with the fights in our lives, those circumstantial things that are there because of things that we've done in our lives. Something from our past is following us because of seed that we've sown in our past, something is now confronting us and we need forgiveness. We need something from God or another person. And so the first truth, the forgiveness we need comes only by the mercy of God. Jacob was absolutely guilty of what he did to Esau and he knew it, he knew it. And up until this point, Jacob had relied on his own wit, his own intellect, his own way of thinking for his success. But now none of this was going to help him and he didn't know what was going to happen. Many of us, we find ourselves in the same kind of situation. Something is catching up to us and we've tried to manipulate it. We've tried to control it. We've tried to do everything we can to handle it ourselves. But this situation has bubbled and gotten to a place where it is out of our control. And finally, it's at the place where we have to either give it to God or maintain it and see destruction. Or we can give it to God and watch what he can do with it. And that's exactly what's happening to Jacob. His survival, his literal survival was dependent on his brother's forgiveness of his wrongdoings. Have you ever been in a situation where the future, the peaceful future, maybe even as, as extreme as survival, but the future you wanted was completely up to the person 
that you had wronged or offended. There was a person that seemed like they held the keys to your future, but Jacob had no control over his brother's heart. But this is what he'll learn in this story and what we will over the next few minutes. He had no control over his brother's heart, but there was one who did. Oftentimes we will look at our circumstances and say, I don't know what to do because I can't control that. I don't know what to do because I can't control them. I don't know how we're gonna get out of this one because I can't soften my spouse's heart. I can't, I can't bring my child back to God. I can't physically, give, I can't give myself a raise. I can't do these things. And we're looking at other circumstances and people saying, I can't control that. But while, all the while we are forgetting that we serve a God who all of it is in his hands. He can. And that's what Jacob was learning and what God wants to teach us today. Genesis 32, 24 says this. So in the midst of all of this, Jacob is filled with anxiety. And it says this. So Jacob was left alone and a man came and wrestled with him until daybreak. At the very beginning of this story of Jacob wrestling with God, it actually says a man came and wrestled with him. Not because it was a man, we actually find out in a few minutes that it was God, but it looks enough like a man to where Jacob is assuming that there's this man that's coming to have a wrestling match with him while he's alone. But I also think it's interesting in this point when the Bible says he was left alone, left alone. If he was left alone, that means he was left alone by people. And then also he was left alone by God. God was still with him, but God wanted to take Jacob to a place where he was alone. And oftentimes as believers, when we are going through a time of, of feeling lonely, when we are going through a time where we are alone, maybe we start thinking that the people at church aren't as friendly as they used to be, or this might be happening. And all of a sudden, isn't it interesting when we're going through the fight of our life, how quickly we can start feeling cornered and put into situations where we feel alone. And it may not be even that you just feel alone, it might be that God is taking you to a place of aloneness so he can get a hold of you in that place. Jacob was left alone. And that's when the greatest encounter of his entire life took place. He was left alone. If we are to follow God, we need to come to the point of recognizing that God might take us to a place of being alone, but it's to deal with our wrongs and it's to deal with our weaknesses. Because if we're alone, we can't point to that person. We can't say, well, they did this and they weren't nice and they left. God wants to look at you and deal with what he can deal with in you and in me. Number two is this, the second truth. God honors our perseverance in seeking him. God honors our perseverance in seeking him. I think um, this is my 17th year being in full-time ministry. Mandy and I have been the senior pastors of our church for three and a half years. We became the pastors the last week of January of 2020. Just the perfect time to, you know, to start pastoring a, a church. My dad was the pastor for 28 years before us at our church. But all these years in ministry, I think perseverance is one of those godly character traits that is vanishing quickly in American church culture. We, we don't want to wait on God. We don't want to persevere with God. We want God to operate on our timetables, do what we want, when we want, because so many of us, and I've been there, we actually want to play God in our own stories. And he says, persevere. Genesis 32, 25 through 26 says this, continuing in the story. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched him, he touched his hip joint, and Jacob's hip 
was dislocated as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for day is breaking. Now notice this. It wasn't Jacob who said, let me go. It was God in man form wrestling with Jacob, looking at Jacob saying, let me go because day is about to break. Let me go. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you declare a blessing on me. I will not let you go unless you declare a blessing on me. I want, are you catching what's going on? Jacob is in this moment where he's holding on so tight that God in this wrestling match is teaching him perseverance, but he touches his hip and Jacob's hip goes out of socket. I don't know if you've ever dislocated anything. I've never dislocated a hip. I've only ever dislocated a finger, but that is painful. So in the midst of this wrestling match, his hip is out of socket. It is wrenched in pain. He has to be screaming out in pain, but there's one thing that he kept on doing in the midst of all of the pain in the greatest fight of his life. The one thing that kept him godly in that moment was this, holding on. I think one of the godliest things a Christian can do when pain is at its pinnacle, when things feel like they can't get any darker or any worse I think one of the godliest things a Christian can do is just hold on in the midst of pain. Hold on. Daybreak is coming. Daybreak is coming if we just hold on. But we, in our minds, we say the pain is too much. The hurt is too deep. I'm letting go. I'm letting go of God. I'm letting go of church. I can't keep doing this. Church didn't work. The God thing just didn't work. I'm letting go. And it feels like people do that right before the darkness comes to an end. And God is saying, hold on. Psalm 30 verse five says this. I've learned that his anger lasts for a moment, but his loving favor lasts a lifetime. I love this. We may weep through the night, but at daybreak, it will turn into shouts of joy. This is a passage from a different passage in the Bible. It's not even the same story, but it's the same principle that God is trying to show us. When darkness has invaded our life, there's one eternal law that always happens. It's the cycle of nighttime and daytime. The darkness will come to an end. What you're facing right now, if you hold on, it will come to an end. There is light at the end of that tunnel and daybreak is coming. Do you guys believe that today? Daybreak is coming. Number three, the third truth is this. God wants us to have a life-changing encounter. God wants us to have a life-changing encounter encounter. I love this because Jacob's life changed forever. Our lives are actually changed because of what happened in this story, because of what descended from this story. Genesis 32, 27 through 28 says this. So he asked him, this is God speaking, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, God said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. God looks at him and says, what is your name? I think it's interesting because he wasn't asking him the question so God could learn who Jacob really was. He was asking Jacob, who are you really? Who are you really? What's your real identity? He was not asking Jacob so God could be informed. He was asking Jacob so Jacob could be informed of his true identity because he had been deceiving for so long. He had no idea who he even really was. 
God was saying, Jacob, if you want to be saved, you have to come to terms with who you really are and how much you actually need a savior. He says, who are you? And out of his mouth and out of the groaning and the pain from his hip and wrestling all night and the anxiety of what was gonna come tomorrow and the uncertainty of the future for the first time in his life, Jacob had to acknowledge, this is who I really am. And the moment he does, do you see the goodness of God? All of a sudden, in, the, in an instant, the goodness of God invades this story and he says, well, your name will no longer be that because you've confessed it and you've come to the realization of who you really are. Now I'm transforming your identity. I am covering your past and I'm setting you up for a brand new future. You are no longer deceiver. You are Israel. You are blessed of God, the father of nations. The 12 tribes of Israel would come from Jacob, Israel in the future. That's where we get the nation of Israel. It's amazing that all of it comes back to this story with one man who had fear of the future, fear of consequences, his own decisions that he made had brought him to a place where he didn't experience the punishment of God. He experienced the grace of God by simply confessing who he was and God transformed his identity and set him up for a brand new future. It's amazing when we think about it, but what is your real name? It may not be liar or deceiver, but it could be selfish. Your real name could be lacking self-awareness. It could be lustful, angry, unforgiving. Your real name could be addicted. Your real name could be dependent on, 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 rom on romance, on love outside of God, whatever it might be. What is your real name? And the moment we come to terms with it is the moment God can transform everything in our lives. After only after wrestling with God can we actually have a new identity in God. Genesis 32, 29 says, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. This is when Jacob comes to terms with, I wasn't just wrestling with man, I wrestled with God and prevailed. What does it look like to prevail with God? Hold on, just hold on. That's what it means to prevail with God. Hold on and bring confession and realization to who I really am. If we come to terms with who we really are and we're holding on to God, everything that God has for you in your future is still at play and alive in your life, but we've got to hold on and we've got to come to terms with who we really are. I also think it's interesting before I end, I'll, I'll say this. He was asking for blessing from God, but isn't it interesting because he already got the blessing. He took the birthright and he took the blessing. So why was he asking God for blessing? He wasn't asking God for blessing. He was asking God to legitimize the blessing that he stole. There are things in our lives that we look at, sin from our past, that we look at, well, if we carry those into our future, it will only harm us. That came from an old life. That was not me. I don't even know how I can carry this into a new life, but God is so big and so good. He can come into any story and, and he can legitimize it. He can sanctify it. He can bring grace to your story. And what once was a weight that we were carrying into the future now is a blessing that we're carrying forever. It's amazing to see how good God is all through the Bible all through the Bible. My son, Asher, is 14 now, 
but when he was two years old, we were on vacation actually in Gulf Shores, and, and he was throwing a temper tantrum of all temper tantrums upstairs in the house, and the house is already so crowded with family, and you know, there, there's, every kid has, you know, pouts, but you know, every kid also has those two or three, four stories where you actually wondered, is my child demon-possessed? Like, because... <laughs> It was the, the flopping, the gnashing of teeth, you know, like, what is happening right now? This is not mine, you know. I, I picked Asher up, and we went downstairs, and underneath the house, there's, you know, one of those wooden bench swings that's hanging from chains, and, and I, I sat on that swing and started swinging him, and he was kicking, screaming, like, face was beat red, you know, one of those kind of tantrums, and I'm holding on to him tightly. I'm just saying, Ash, come on, buddy. You can settle down, settle down. We're swinging back and forth, just swinging back. He was going, no, no, I'm just screaming beat red. It felt like an eternity, but after about 10 minutes, he started softening as he was, the fighting ended, and I was holding on to him tightly, and, and I, my arms started to get softer and softer, still holding him, and finally he fell asleep, and I looked at him. His face is still red, but what was once a face of just anger and intensity now looked like a little angel, and I'm looking at him, and he has, he has peace and comfort because what went from, I don't want to be in your arms, they are restricting me, all of a sudden went to, I'm safe in your arms, and I can have rest. That's where God is trying to take you today. What he's saying is, hold on, but at the same time, give up the fight. Don't give up holding on to him. Don't give up on life, but give up on life doing it your way. That's what changes things when we come to the end and go, I'm throwing in the towel on doing life my way and I'm gonna hold on to God with everything I can. I wanna close in prayer. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes just quickly today, but very importantly, if you're in the room today and, and you would like to get right with God by what Jesus did for us on the cross, the Bible says that he came and lived a perfect life, went to the cross as the perfect substitute which just means that it should have been us on the cross, but Jesus came to die for us, as us, instead of us. And the Bible says that all we have to do is call on his name and we will be saved. Believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And so that's what we're gonna do today. And that's how we're right with God. And that story of Jacob wrestling with God is the same story of wrestling through that moment of salvation. We don't work for our salvation. There aren't all these things we have to do for salvation, but it's coming to the end of ourselves and the beginning of the life that God has for us. Confessing who we really are and saying, I need to be saved. And then transformation can take place. If that's you in here today, just on the count of three, I'm just gonna pray. I'm not gonna have anybody stand or come forward, but just with a showing of hands, if you would like to be included in this final prayer to be right with God by what Jesus did on the cross, if that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? One, two, three. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, guys. I want to pray and just make this prayer your own. And in this prayer, I'm also just going to pray for people that are going through a fight today. It's just an encouragement, a blessing, a prayer, a blessing over, over just encouragement and strength and renewal for us today. As we leave here, maybe we can leave lighter than we came in with fresh perspective on God. Father, we thank you so much for today. And I pray for every person in this room. I pray that you would just strengthen every person. And for those of us that raise their hand to make things right with you, Jesus, we want you to come into our lives, transform us, make us new. We are surrendering everything to you. And just saying, Jesus, we know who we really are. And today we're saying, transform me. I need to be saved. 
come into my life. You are Lord and Savior. Uplift us today, strengthen us, and bless us. And in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook or Instagram for updates, service info, and ways to get involved here at Ocean's Church. Be sure to give this episode a rating as it allows us to connect more people to Jesus. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again soon.